Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms, from inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe. This is Neurons to Nirvana. My guest on today's episode is Shane Moss. Shane grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin and briefly worked as a factory worker that skipped college to become a stand-up comedian. He has had several appearances on Conan, numerous on Comedy Central, and many other spots on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Showtime, Epics, and many more. Shane has been interviewing scientists each week since 2014 for the Here We Are podcast, which provides entertaining interviews with scientific minds. In 2019, he released the documentary Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics. Earlier this year, Shane joined comedian Ramin Nazer to co-host the podcast Mind Under Matter, which he produces along with his podcast Here We Are, both releasing episodes each and every week. Compelled to talk about much more expansive ideas, Shane now travels to universities worldwide to interview researchers on a journey to learn as much about life as possible. In the age of podcasting, more people might be familiar with Shane as a regular guest on Duncan Trestle's Family Hour and Pete Holmes' You Made It Weird. He also has appeared as a guest on other huge podcasts such as The Joe Rogan Experience, WTF with Mark Marin, Whiskey Ginger, This Past Weekend, and well now, this one of course. Psychedelics have been part of Shane's comedic career for many years, but the topic and his experiences have morphed into something new for both himself and his audience. Shane met me in Las Vegas after he finished emceeing Meet Delic, the premier psychedelic wellness event held at Area 15. His forthrightness is so refreshing in the way that he speaks of his mental health and how he has a healthy balance of both skepticism and surrender that I have decided to break our discussion into two parts. Today you will hear the first half of our interview and I assure you that there are great nuggets of insight and humor with the second half that will be released later this month. If you can't get enough of Shane Moss in between, there are hundreds of episodes on the Here We Are podcast on almost any topic of interest. Please check the show notes for the links to his many projects. Shane, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It was great to meet you. We met at the Meet Delic conference. Yeah. And you did a hell of a job as MC. And I think it's only going to get better. And I think that there's a lot that they could add to it they could add a lot of things so there's more than just like talks and lectures and stuff through the day i've been to a lot of conferences and it can be a little hard on the attention span sometimes if you don't have some ways to mix it up so it, it was cool that they had like different light meditations and and stuff like i didn't i i was so busy i didn't get a chance to check out that stuff any of that stuff in the booth no i didn't get a chance to see any of it but um but i heard about it and i i think you know, being able to add some more activities and stuff like that just to break up things a little bit and have people be able to reset more. And I think the first day they didn't have food available. So there was the no day food. They got a food truck. <laughs> yeah, and, there was no food. Yeah. The first day, I think I saw a tray of like carrots and, and broccoli. That was it. Yeah. And some yeah. bottled water. But regardless of that, I mean, for the first year, I thought the speakers were great. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought they they had a nice variety. They had you know there's a there's a lot of different aspects of the psychedelic community, and there's people that tend to be in like the more exploratory side and mixed with like lots of uh, kind of the uh, science takes on on the experience and you know that's not always going to hit with everyone and a lot of times it's just different language of articulating the same thing but but to have that variety and to have so many different um so many different people talking about so many different aspects of it was uh was really nice i wish i could have seen more of the panels so i was emceeing the keynote speakers yep. all all weekend and there was a lot of panel discussions and my understanding was that there was uh, some of the panels had more of some of the financial and business side of things and moving things forward that way. And I would have liked to have been able to check some of those out and participate a little bit more with those. And so, but, but all that is to say is they had just like such a nice mix of, of uh, variety of things. Cause everyone's after something else with, with these things sure, and everyone has their own different takes. <laughs> right. I came across you for the first time for when I saw Psychonautics about oh, three nice. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a... Available on Amazon Prime, by the way. Psychonautics, right. the comics exploration of psychedelics. Yeah. It was really, really well done. I watched that maybe a month before I went and did Ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And... Did it scare you off from it a well, little bit, make you a little nervous? It did. <laughs> There's because... some disclaimers built into my documentary, which it, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm happy with the end result, especially for like the small budget and the limited time frame that we had to make it, especially at the time. Psychedelics have, and the, the demand for more content and everything else has come along quite a bit since the time that we made the documentary. Michael Pollan's book wasn't out yet by the yes. time that I started filming it and everything. Right. And so the world's changed quite a bit since that book and then just in the last several years. So the documentary, when I started it, it was we started with doing interviews first just we were just at a big psychedelic science conference i'm i'm a science guy i have a science right. podcast called here we are i interview academics and uh, don't talk much about psychedelics on the podcast actually but but many of my ideas about perception and consciousness and and how the mind works are influenced by psychedelics and so i have experiences and then come up with ideas and then ask like you know legit psychologists and neuroscientists what they think without telling them that these ideas are inspired by psychedelics. And so, um, you you know, to me, psychedelic means more than just the actual substances. But we, we started with the interviews and then we just, we didn't really know exactly what we were doing. We didn't have like an outline when we started the documentary. We just kind of, knew we wanted to make one. We jumped at this opportunity to interview all these folks that were all in one place at, at the same time. So we got a bunch of amazing interviews. And then I was like, all right, I guess we just like show me doing a bunch of psychedelics and mix in some of my stand-up and stuff from my tour that I did. Um, I, I did a 111 uh, city tour about, uh, about psychedelics called A Good Trip. In like 2016, 2017, we started recording the documentary at the end of that tour. And so what happened, I I 
spoiler, it's not much of a spoiler alert because the documentary kind of opens with me saying this, but, um, but I, I ended up in a psych ward after a manic episode. And um, had that not happened, it probably would have been pretty evangelical and pretty, I mean, I had had nothing but overwhelmingly positive experiences with psychedelics leading up to that. It's in fact why I was like a hair arrogant and cocky. I just <laughs> like, you know, 20 years of experience and, and not really having any issues. I, I think it added a lot of balance and, you know, added kind of a disclaimer to the documentary itself. How all this happened was like all kind of happenstance. Um, I'd been doing psychedelics for a long time. I happened to mention a, uh, an experience on a podcast that uh, Pete Holmes, you made it weird and it became really popular. And then everyone asked me about DMT and stuff. I wasn't even going on there to talk about DMT or anything like that. It just came up naturally in conversation. And so I was never a part of the psychedelic community. I never... I never uh, resonated with any of the new agey crowd. I'm a comedian and I work weekends and stuff, so I just don't go to like concerts and festivals and things like that very often, uh, unless I'm booked to work one. I didn't even know that there was that much of a demand for hearing about psychedelics at the time. Getting to know the psychedelic community better, there's a lot of evangelical kind of stuff out there. There's a lot of dogma. There's a lot of unintentional snake oil. Uh, yes, yes. That, that happens. And, Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of overclaiming. There's a lot of motivated reasoning. There's a lot of, you know, there's psychedelics can be great for making you see things more, you know, from a different point of view, a more objective point of view, making new connections for creativity. But it can also validate the bullshit that you're already into sometimes and and make you think that like oh i saw the truth yes. and it just so <laughs> happens to be the thing that i already believed going yeah. into this and now i just am very rigid in my belief i'm kind of proud of that i'm kind of proud that it that it i i, I don't think it was saying negative things about psychedelics i've for me, I think they're, uh, I, I love psychedelics. I, I mean, they're some of my uh, best experiences in life. They've helped my life in, in a number of ways. But I'm glad it wasn't just that. I'm glad it was a little more balanced and a little more grounded in that way. You know, the disclaimer or a little bit of darkness, so to speak. Yeah. Because uh, I'll be honest with you, I had signed up uh, to go on a retreat in South America. Yeah. I guess since I've been about 16, 17, I've battled with depression on and off, had bouts. And my dad had died a few years, four or five years prior. Mm. He and I were extremely close, so there was a huge void. And then I also wanted to kind of um, work on some things. I mean, I think therapy is great, but based off of things I'd read about ayahuasca, you know, uh, I think I heard Joe Rogan once claim it's like 10 years of therapy. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't necessarily agree with, with that, but it, it, you can For some people it can You be. can have extremely profound experiences. Yeah. That being said, so the first three-fourths of uh, your documentary was this, you know, uplifting, feel-good thing. And then I saw 
what uh, entailed and what ended up ultimately happening. Because you were going where uh, you were, you didn't disclose where you were going for a ceremony. Yeah. So actually, what happened? My my editor for whatever that that's that's a little bit of the part that we like cheated a little bit. You, you know, to tell the story in the documentary, sometimes you don't have time to like explain the whole story and there's ways of cutting and editing that like gets you where you need to go what actually happened so we presented in the documentary of like hey i'm going to do ayahuasca at this at this place and um you know we can't show you guys because it's underground or whatever what had actually happened was we were planning to and had had set up and coordinated things to actually film me doing ayahuasca but before i did that because I had only had two ayahuasca experiences before that, and they were really mild. Right. And they were in a s- different setting. They were in, like, a, you know, shamanic, like, group setting and everything. And this was going to be more of, like, a one-on-one thing, so I'd be able to kind of talk through it a little more and articulate the experience a little bit more. And so to prep for the filming of it, I did ayahuasca ahead of time to okay. see like, okay, what, and, and to come up with ideas of like things that I'd want to articulate and make sure to, um, cause I was very involved in, uh, with the director and it's a three person crew pretty much. Okay. Uh, you know, we'd hire some help here and there, but it's basically three of us making the whole thing. I went to do that prepping for the scene and then ended up having, uh, what turned into a manic episode afterwards and and it wasn't just ayahuasca i I was eating like fuck loads of mushrooms all through the filming um kind of trying to come up with ways of articulating and figure out what i wanted with the documentary and trying to like stay in that space as much as possible and and neglecting the like kind of regular integration stuff that i would normally be doing just because i was I was, yeah, trying to kind of stay on that plane, and uh, there's only so long you really want to stay there. <laughs> right. And ayahuasca kind of tipped me over. I mean, weird stuff happened afterwards that was very confusing to me, and and I was in a state where you know there's lots of synchronicities that that was just like lots of confirmation bias, lots of manic ideas, and then a week after that, when I was already like. Uh, psychologically shaky and like not sleeping only sleeping like a couple hours a night and stuff because I was manic I did uh I did mushrooms and then had like a full-blown manic episode but but it it wasn't there wasn't ever a moment when I just flipped it just like kind of kept building and building and building and building and so from the time that I actually did ayahuasca to the time that I ended up in a psych ward it was probably three weeks or something like that. It was a, you know, it was a very long time of trying to get myself grounded and that didn't happen. If you don't mind sharing what happened during that ayahuasca experience, do you recall much of it? I mean, it's years ago now. Sure. but, But I actually, at the time, I remembered quite a bit. Like with ketamine, for example, I tend to not remember much or be able to articulate much afterwards with dmt there's something about the way that my brain processes dmt where and this is individual differences it's not like a superpower there's other people that do this as well but i'm able to kind of articulate the experience while it's happening 
and I seem to be able to retain that particular experience a little more than most people t- tend to report it, like floating away like a dream immediately afterwards. Right. And I tend to just retain that a little bit better. I felt like ayahuasca was kind of a toned down version of DMT and a little more grounded and a little more like a mix between DMT and mushrooms. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with this medicine woman and there's some other people and stuff in the room as well. And there was a lot of odd stuff kind of leading up to it. I was already kind of going a little manic and there was weird things happening in my life because I did this big psychedelic tour all of these different psychedelic people were reaching out to me and there's all these weird opportunities popping up (laughs) and like universal studios at one point wanted to do something and there's already like sometimes i'm like is this real is this actually happening or is this you know it was kind of um i bet it felt surreal it was it was surreal and and then yeah, during during ayahuasca, I had kind of this vision of these various, like, you know, different ways of uh, these communicators all through time and, and th- that, like, nudged things in this, like, butterfly effect. And I had this, like, clear vision that on ayahuasca that it was going to, like, make me look crazy. I was going to, like, look crazy and then... That would get some attention, but then when I actually talked with people about it, I would, you know, sound um, reasonable. Somewhat lucid, at least, yeah. Lucid, and and that it it was, it it wasn't like me. It it was like there was there was some sort of odd butterfly effect thing happening where there was like because I interview scientists and everything else, and I kind of also tell them off the air about some of my experiences and stuff it was like there was going to be some shift in scientific understanding that eventually led to this thing that led to this thing and I was just like some nudge that was going to get people like studying these experiences more rigorously and figuring out how to like what the space is and tapping into it And, um, and it had to do with like I was going to be working with an extended state DMT study and stuff. This was in the ayahuasca experience. This is what it was was telling me. There was this one scientist that came to mind. I won't say their name because of where the story goes, but it it was about something about changing the education system in this, uh, this way it was and kind of, getting more back to uh, the way education worked when we were just in tribes and hunter-gatherers and that sort of thing and learning from the community more and and learning as much from the kids as the adults and that sort of thing. Anyhow, I didn't really think that much of it. My ayahuasca experience was absolutely wonderful and tremendous. It was... I had, uh, I had like, all these cliché. I had, like, a very... Jesus-y-ish <laughs> moment. I'm an atheist, but I, right, I had right. that that experience. I had, uh, you know, I had the tapping into the suffering of the human condition followed by a purge and, like, this realization that everything was going to be okay and this, you know, the cosmic lap. All, all the, like, cliches that I usually roll my eyes at. Sure. And so, one, it opened me up quite a bit. And I was on this mountain at the time, 
oh, I forgot about the craziest thing that happened was during my ayahuasca experience, so this house was like on a mountain and there had been rain there recently and stuff. I didn't know this at the time, but I guess that's what had happened. And, I, and there was like some shift in the ground at that time. <laughs> but during the experience, whether it was like I was subconsciously picking up on this seconds before, um, you know, I was consciously aware of it and created a story or something. I don't know what, <laughs> but it was, it was like, I was going to deliver all of this information, basically everything that I just said, it was like, okay, we're going to give you this message now. Are you ready? And then I was like, <sighs> sure, you know, not taking it terribly seriously. And then it just felt like this, like bolt of lightning just struck and like the whole house started shaking and I was like was that just in my head what right, was right. that and then afterwards we asked some of the other people in there and people on my side of the room had heard it then people on the other side of the room hadn't and then we went downstairs and looked at the foundation and there's like this big crack in the foundation like <laughs> right under like where my head was like immediately and so I was like well that's Strange. That seemed like a very like lightning strike kind of sign from the heavens sort yes. of thing. But still didn't take it very seriously. But I didn't have phone reception up there. And I left. I was supposed to do more ayahuasca experiences um, that weekend. And uh, I was like, that, that's all that I need. And I left and I got down and I got cell phone service again. And the first thing that I, the first text that I got was this person that was like, hey, we're putting together this DMT extended state um, trial and we're like making this announcement that this thing's going to happen. We're actually, I was in Boulder, Colorado. We're actually making the announcement in Denver. We have like the lead scientist and these other people uh, that are uh, participating and putting it together. And... Uh, we see you're in town and because you're, you know, you've been communicating these things, we were wondering if, if we, if you would like to come and we'll actually like present you as, as the first participant in this DMT. Wow. The first extended state <laughs> trial. Like I'd be the first one yeah, to have this extended the first experience. guinea pig. And <laughs> I was like, that's strange yeah. because I just had all of these odd visions that were similar to that during ayahuasca and then i i checked my twitter dms and the scientists i'm not they'd been on my podcast before but and i think i'd written them like six months earlier about something or other and they never wrote back and then they happened to write back like right after i was done I, uh, they wrote back and then they're like Hey, here's this new thing that I just wrote recently and they don't they don't study education or anything, but they just happened to write this uh article all about revamping the education system and and like the the person's kind of an evolutionary thinker and stuff like that. And so it was like very similar to the visions that I had on ayahuasca. It was like immediately, like as soon as I had cell phone reception again, I got those things and I was like <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Right, and then I, right. I go to this extended state announcement thing and the, it was actually um, Andrew, um, oh shoot, Gallimore. 
Andrew Gallimore um, from Australia. He, he, so he was there and he, so he was, part of this was his idea and he was articulating that he, he believes that, that these, you know, this DMT space is in a different dimension that we can't normally perceive and, and it's a way of communicating through space and time differently and, and then I just started like obsessing about time travel, which I used to I used to look into quite a bit like years ago. I, I was going to put together a show all about time travel like 10 years ago or right, something. Right. And so I did quite a bit of research figuring out the many like paradoxes and how it would work if it was possible. And and I just kind of started obsessing about time travel. Were you just stuck on a loop? So a little like bit. Kind of a a no. little bit. I was trying to explain how this was happening. Like how did... How did I see this in this ayahuasca state? And then I felt like it happened. I felt like that right. prophecy was like already coming true the next day. And so my way of thinking about it was through like, oh, there's something communicating and like leaving messages through time in a way that just it doesn't work the way that we think. It, so I started putting together all of these ideas about how the subconscious picks up on time in a different way than our conscious experience and how how you can pass ideas through time and through cultures and stuff and i'm drawing all these fucking graphs and <laughs> really stuff like that like all this weird shit yeah and i'm just like obsessed with it my girlfriend's like getting nervous about uh, 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 like my state and everything at the time. And then that week later, I was going to this Roger Waters concert. I went to oh, nice. Burn Mushrooms a, a week later, but right. I already had plans with these friends. And so I'm a little unstable already. Talking through with my girlfriend that day, I'm like, just hear me out. If I was in this extended state thing, how would you test that time works differently? I think what I'd do is, if I'm in that extended state and I'm talking with these, you know, DMT entities or whatever, I would just instruct them to, when I come out of that DMT extended state thing, to have one of the scientists or whatever hand me an envelope that has something meaningful to me. It was just like some weird idea of like how to test this. And then I thought, well, why would it, if time works in that way, why would I even have to wait until that time? Why couldn't someone just hand me a random envelope with something meaningful that's like personal to me like today for example sure I, like yeah, anyway weird idea <laughs> and then I, so i go to this roger waters concert i happen to know the guy that fly, flies the inflatable pig for roger waters like for the wall tour yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a fan uh, right right I saw some of my that's awesome. shows and stuff and so I have these VIP tickets that I'm like sitting with Roger Waters, like family and friends section and stuff, like 15 feet from the stage. And so it's already surreal. But we, but before that, we were in this special like VIP room. And my my friend that got me the tickets comes in, and he's like, "How you doing? Hey, what what tickets do you have? Let me." And he's like, and he looks at me strange, and he just like, "Oh, I think there was a mistake. Hold on a second. And he goes and he comes back with a different set of tickets and he has this big envelope. He's like, here, this, also, this is for you. And I'm like, <laughs> what's in this envelope? And I open it and it's a signed photo from Roger oh, Waters. Oh, badass, yeah. And then I'm like, 
what is happening <laughs> right now? And then, and I go out to see the show, and then I, I had been, like, annoying the hell out of my girlfriend with, like, look, here's how time can time work travel, in, this, yeah. <laughs> in this way, and I'm drawing these, like, time spiraling around in this... It, and how you can like see through these different dimensions of time and stuff. And we get out there and the concert starts on the screen. There's just all of these visuals and they look like exactly like the things that I was drawing. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? (laughs) And then Roger Waters starts singing some song about being God and stuff. And I'm like, Am I God? Am I did, dead? Did you feel is like it was a, yeah, a direct message to yeah. you? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, is this, what the fuck is happening? And it just like, it just broke my brain and I just like couldn't get o- over it. And part of the problem was too, in hindsight, is that if you're having those experiences, meh, you know, don't necessarily go blabbing to just anybody right. about what's got, because then you can, you'll feel foolish about it afterwards or it, Part of the problem is is that then confirmation bias is already such an issue. Once you start believing a thing, you're going to start seeing uh, a lot of evidence for validating it everywhere and stuff that you hadn't noticed before because this is a new point of view that you have. And so your consciousness is picking up on things in a new way. And it's like, how have I missed these signs before is what it feels like. When you tell people about your experiences in a state like that when you're like excited and you haven't really thought it all the way through and they're kind of looking at you funny and now you're trying to like, okay, no, 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 well, let me explain it better. And then over time, there'll be like, you'll start picking up on mistakes that you made in the logic that you were working with, for example, but now you're kind of attached to the story because you've told people about on like a subconscious way if i hadn't told someone i'd be like oh that was a silly idea whatever but now you but feel now invested I need to like explain and like right. oh forget what i was saying right, right. yesterday but it, it's like that but it's like this instead and like just too attached to this narrative that i built based on kind of a lot of excited faulty premises right and uh and things just kind of spiraled a little bit and i just couldn't get myself out of it so that roger waters show that happens i mean what did you have issues leaving the show or people like looking at you or were you able to keep it to get your girlfriend was with you yeah and some other friends right right um, I was, were they giving you funny looks yeah <laughs> a little bit yeah i was like I mean, I was freaking out a little. I, I started, like, seeing these patterns. Um, uh, wow. Like in sp- I thought there was, like, this different dimension that, like, I was seeing these, like, spirals coming down and stuff that I was able to manipulate. And I'm like, am I? Did you think you were seeing, like, a time portal? Or? Or? Yeah, yeah. It was some- <laughs> I didn't even know what it was, but it felt natural. It was just this, like, weird thing that I could, like, manipulate right. by moving my right. hands around and stuff. But now I'm just looking like a lunatic like moving their hands around <laughs> extremely animated yeah yeah. Like, yeah it just kept on getting progressively worse i had to fly the next day and i was like bugging out in the airport and stuff and i i thought i was starting to get really paranoid and i was starting to think like 
someone was after me or this was a trick or something like that, that someone was playing on me or I wasn't sure if this was real or I wasn't sure if, you know, like if I've always been in some illusion the whole time, like the matrixy kind of thing. And it was a lot of wild brainstorming trying to come up with answers to what was happening. Since that time, I've, I've gotten to understand like mania and those states quite a bit more right that was my first full-blown manic episode i've had a few since now i feel like i just understand the the ways in which in those states some of the cognitive biases that really ramp up more and some of the little mental hiccups and and things that happen and, and it's actually kind of useful the first time being in the psych ward was very scary but i've been in a second time since not not uh from psychedelics just during the beginning part of COVID, my mania ramped up when the world was like going completely insane. I went insane as well. The second time I was a lot less manic and it was in a different psych ward. And so I was able to start picking up on these patterns of kind of co uh, common cognitive errors that people are making in these manic states. You know, it's, it's easier to see in someone else than right, in than yourself. yourself yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's how I'm misunderstanding that thing. And, and so, yeah, it's been a learning experience. So you, that was the second time where you, I think you, I've read or seen in an interview, what were you in, eight days the first time during? Something like that. Yeah, something, yeah, somewhere between six and eight. I don't quite remember. What about the, the second time, now that you were able that to pick like up? was like a long weekend. I think that was four days. Oh, good. <laughs> One of the really scary things about a psych ward is, because I've, I've been to jail, not, you know, I never, never like a serious sentence or anything. Sure. But I was like, when I was young, I was in like work release jail for 10 days for, uh, for, second drunk driving offense and I used to drink so much in my early 20s and and so there's a couple times I ended up you know in the drunk tank and stuff like that and the scary thing about a psych ward is you don't get a sentence like you don't know when you're getting out you don't know if you're going to be out in an hour right. or ever and that uh, lack of predictability and lack of control are two of the biggest stressors that we can undergo. And, and psych wards aren't necessarily set up by people that are familiar with, like have personal experience with manic episodes. Sure. So it's more about managing those people than like understanding and relating. It's not the most conducive environment anyway. But the funny thing was like day four of my second day, that was, that was the time when I kind of fully let go of all of that worry and concern. And I was like, I don't care how long I'm here, whatever. I'm, this is an interesting experience. I'm learning a bunch, like I'm writing a bunch, I'm getting some work done. I'm having a lot of interesting thoughts and uh who cares i i don't and as soon as you're ready to stay in the psych ward that's when they're like okay <laughs> you're good to go right. <laughs> right yeah so have you done ayahuasca since no but i wouldn't mind i haven't done dmt either since that time other than uh that's not entirely true i haven't had a full breakthrough experience i've microdosed some and then once I was showing someone how to hit DMT that wanted to do it with me, 
and uh, I was showing them like how big of a hit that you need to take for like what I thought would be like four hits off of this vape. I have very big lungs and I had a like one hit took me further than I realized and it was was really nice um, and not problematic in any way. Before that time I was doing well I had already so the last time that I had a breakthrough experience on DMT was during the filming of my documentary but I had already had one about nine months before that that was like it just shook me up it was the first one that really really shook me up and I had about a hundred breakthrough experiences or so how did it shake you up in what way time travel stuff again Again. actually Yeah, yeah it was well it was before that there was there was like three months before that that I did DMT in a hot tub actually <laughs> it was wonderful actually but it was really intense and I remember there was it was like it needed me to remember this one particular shape and like configuration it looked like this little world but it was there's so many other things going on in the DMT space that I was like why why do you care so much that I remember this thing that didn't like seem significant in any way to me and I had been pressing DMT already to like well if if this isn't in my head then you need to like show me things outside of it that you need to like make some prediction that will come true about the future and that sort of thing and so skip forward to a few months later I do DMT again and I been working on refining how I smoke it so I can smoke more basically I was just trying to blast as much DMT into my brain as I possibly could and doing that can be tricky but I had refined I had these two vapes that were really nice and I I like really figured out how to get the most out of them and I figured out like oh it melts a lot and it needs like a second to cool in between so I'll just use two at the same time and trade back and forth I remember I had the second hit and I was like whoa this is gonna be a doozy like I'm already in this DMT space earlier than expected but I was there enough to keep on smoking and I had about 10 hits of DMT while I was already like fully uh, in the DMT space I felt what felt like my consciousness just completely leave my body and just start shooting around frantically just like through the universe and it felt like it was trying to get back to my body and every time it got close it just overshot it and missed and I thought I was gonna die is what it felt like and I just thought I was lost I thought my soul or whatever things that I don't normally believe in was just gone like couldn't find its way back and I'm just shooting around through the universe at light speed i thought i was gonna have a seizure it was intense and then i popped out of it early uh, meaning like i opened my eyes earlier than normal so i could see everything in the room it was the room and the people in it but they were like all in like matrixy ish code and i looked up at the top corner of this room and there was this uh just this piece of molding um, and the just wood molding on the uh, uh, the corner of the ceiling that had just had some like decorative shape to it 
And when I looked at, at that in like DMT vision, I saw that molding and I was like, oh, that, that was the shape. That was the shape that it was trying to get me to remember like three months ago. It looked like some whole world right. three months ago, but it seemed like insignificant. But it was like it predicted where I was going to be the next time that I smoked DMT and the first thing that I was going to see when I came out of it. And so I was like, huh, this this is getting too weird. Reality's getting too slippery for me. And so I didn't do DMT for like nine months until the documentary, and then I smoked it for that. Had a similar vision. You had like, that paint on, <laughs> and you were... Uh, I think it was neon. Yeah, right, right? well, that that's actually a funny story of how that <laughs> yeah. happened. Because we had been, through through the course of the documentary on, on these various things that we were shooting, we had this idea of, you know, comparing psychedelics to how kind of dumbed down alcohol and stuff can be and other things can be. And so we had this like running joke of imagine coming out of a psychedelic experience and you know, your friends had drawn dicks all over your face or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you'd never see that happening. But so we started shooting some stuff like that yeah. in a documentary. And so I'm at this medicine woman's house. Oh, we have this body paint um, stuff. If it, if you want to try it and it, it, uh, it has MAO, uh, MAOI inhibitor in it and, It'll make your mushroom trip uh, stronger and stuff. So I'm on mushrooms and, you know, put a little on my arm. And then she's like, oh, and it glows in the dark. And I was like, oh, we should put a glow-in-the-dark dick on my face. <laughs> right. And we did that and we shot some stuff that never made it into the film. But there's one frame that's like, that's like uh, you, you know, that scene from Fight Club where they put in like the dick subliminally yes. in the film or yes. whatever. We did that with... Uh, but anyway, after that, I came up with the idea of like, oh, what if I had just painted my whole body, like looked like a lunatic. Right. And then I smoked DMT and that's how we opened the film of me just like looking like a crazy person. But then people seeing that like, oh, I was just like, I, I, I was just playing with the cliche that the psychedelics are this big crazy thing and but people would actually see how grounded I am and everything else in my use and then it just kind of you know how things it worked out well for an opening of the film but I I didn't know at the time that I was going to end up actually going crazy and <laughs> right, going of into the psych ward and everything that time it was like similar DMT messages of like all right, the cameras are here. Did the purple lady show up? I saw your Comedy Central. Uh, not on that one. Not on that one. Yeah. Um, so there's there's Comedy Central Tales from the Trip videos, yep. and uh, I did three different ones on with DMT stories. If people want to check those out, and so yeah, there's a purple woman that I sometimes would see on DMT, but no, I did not see. <laughs> I did not see her on that particular time or on the ayahuasca. I haven't. I haven't seen her in a long time. The last couple times that I saw her, it's this like purple woman that when I go there, it feels like we have this, we've known each other a bond for, forever, yeah, yeah lifelong yeah, bond, lifetimes, yeah. <laughs> and all of these things, and haven't seen each other in lifetimes as well. And 
it would tell me it was like everything or whatever. I'm like, I don't think you're everything. I think you're just in my head and seems like everything because everything that you have access to is everything that's in my brain. But believe me, there's just, there's more stuff outside of my brain. Like this is just classic egocentrism. Yeah. And you're just like this sub self in my head that thinks that you're in charge of everything. I'm like, you know, keep doing whatever you do down there. But just so you know, I was always kind of arguing with these various entities about what the experience was. Right. Because I think it's important not to accept those experiences at face value. You also don't want to resist too much either. But yeah, one of the last times I saw her, she was, uh, it was just kind of sad and troubling. Um, It was like, she had come to terms with the idea that she just lives in my brain (laughs) and like isn't actually this like cosmic thing controlling the universe and so then she put together this like cell made out of these tiles with various symbols on them and then was just throwing herself up against the cell and clawing at it which at the time it felt very much like she was conveying that she felt trapped in my head. And I was like, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I'm also trapped in my head. You know? <laughs> all, the time. <laughs> all, all the time. All the fucking time. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I never saw her since that time. But yeah, that was, uh, that was maybe six times that I saw her total. Maybe a little more than that. I don't quite remember. I'm not quite sure if Shane has said goodbye to the purple woman who lives in his brain forever, but you, as the listeners, have always just begun to get an insider's view into Shane's brain from this episode. There is so much that Shane unpacks and hits with raw, unfiltered honesty that I had to break our talk into two episodes to do justice to his life experiences. I'm impressed the most with how Shane destigmatizes his visits into a psych ward and seems to approach his mental health and wellness with as much scientific inquiry as when he interviews a leading expert on his Here We Are podcast. Already, Shane has opened up about anxiety, depression, mania, and how psychedelics intertwine in his life story. However, I can assure you there is much more that he shares with me. In the next episode, Shane dives into ketamine, microdosing, his oscillating anxiety, and passion for performing stand-up, and philosophically debates the possibility of living, quote-unquote, in a simulation. I'm looking forward to sharing more of Shane's interview on December 21st. For now, I offer my sincere respect to a true psychonaut, Shane Moss, and once again, my gratitude to you, the listener, for joining me in the continued quest to embrace the unconventional on Neurons to Nirvana.